0: Welcome to The Great Awakening. I'm your host, Josh Dawes. This week, I am incredibly excited to bring you a conversation I've been wanting to have since I first started this podcast. Earlier this week, I sat down with the host of one of my favorite YouTube channels, um, the Beckett Cook Show. I sat down with Beckett and uh, had a, what I think is a really um, helpful conversation. I first encountered Beckett several years ago when I read his book which is called A Change of Affection, A Gay Man's Incredible Story of Redemption. And it, he does. He has an amazing testimony. Uh, we we talk about that um, in the conversation. Um, but I wanted to have him on because there's been so much um, kind of controversy uh, online in the last few weeks about um, LGBT issues and how the church should respond uh, when those you know, that ideology, uh, we encounter that in our churches, in our home, in our workplace. And uh, Beckett is just such a gift to the church in um, helping us think more clearly and more biblically about these issues. And so, um, you know, I wanted to, you know, kind of avoid the, you know, making this about uh, personalities and who said what. And, and there's a place for that. There, There really is, I think, you know, where false teaching is, Appearing in the church, um, it's important to you know point that out and address that and name names and you know, issue those those types of warnings. And there's plenty of uh, channels doing uh, that kind of work. But for this conversation, I wanted to really kind of make it more about those first principles and how we need we should be thinking, you know positively about these uh, these sorts of um, engagement and and these sorts of issues in a biblical way. So that's, uh, that's what we did. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So, um, let's, uh, jump right into my conversation with Beckett. Hey Beckett, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Josh Dawes. <laughs> I've <laughs> been looking forward to this, uh, conversation. Um, you know, I, I read your book several years ago. Um, and the book is, uh, a, a change of affection. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, what it, it, subtitles uh, a gay man's uh, story of redemption? A Gay man's
1: incredible. Incre- this is my publisher did the subtitle, but it's uh, yeah. a gay man's <laughs> incredible story of redemption.
0: And it is an incredible story. Um, yeah. Can I'm you share still, our yeah. listeners'? Yeah, can you give us just a, a kind of the brief thumbnail? I want to, I want people to read your your book, and I don't want to you know take up our, the whole time with with your story. But what is the, the the brief thumbnail of that?
1: Yeah, and by the way, just in terms of the book, my story is only the first half of the book because the second half I look at this issue from all kinds of different angles. So, um, but my story is that thirteen years ago. I live in Los Angeles now and I've lived here since 1993, but at 13 years ago, I was a gay man, um, like fully identified as a gay man, had many, many boyfriends, lived the full life for 20 years, plus years. And and then I had this radical encounter with God um, and then it completely transformed my life, which I'll get to, I'll get to that uh, encounter in a minute. But basically, when I was very young, I, I I knew that I was attract. I I started to realize that I was attracted to the same sex, which is kind of a very disorienting thing, especially you know in the '80s when when it's very much frowned upon, very taboo in society. Yeah. Were you?
0: And, did you grow up in a Christian home?
1: I grew up in a Roman Catholic home. Okay. I was the youngest of eight kids. So, um, I, you know, my family were they were very my parents were very very devout and we I mean, we went to mass every Sunday if not every day. I I went to Jesuit schools my whole life uh for 12 years. So um so I, I knew, I mean, I knew that my family believed it was wrong and it was sinful. Like it was clear. There was no doubt about that, but, but so I had to like, so I had to live this sort of double life. And I, you know, on the inside, I had all these things going, this, these feelings happening, but on the outside, I had to pretend I was, you know, normal quote unquote. And, and, uh, and so I was, you know, popular in school and I had girlfriends and in high school I had I had serious girlfriends in high school, like three different girlfriends, which is kind of funny. Um but but at the same time in high school I had a best friend who came out to me as came out to me and we came out to each other not as gay because we weren't that wasn't our identity yet. We we were just we we came out to each other as same sex attracted even though we didn't use those words at the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so once that happened, everything shifted into high gear and we started going to gay bars. We started going to nightclubs and I was 14 years old when I started doing, I don't know how I got into these, mm. <laughs> these bars and clubs in Dallas. Um, but I found that, you know, the doormen at these places were very, very welcoming to young boys. So Uh, It was very easy access to get into these nightclubs that, you know, had extraordinary, you know, very high cover charges, but they would let us in for free um, because we were young. And so then the same thing in college, I I, uh, had a best friend who, and we came out to each other. So again, I had this confidant. And then after college, I moved to Tokyo for a year with my best friend. And that's when homosexuality became my identity because I, um, his friend from Texas came to visit us. And after like four days of him being in our tiny Tokyo apartment, we fell in love and quote unquote, we fell in love. And, uh, it was my first, that was the first time I had ever felt those feelings. that, That kind of really strong romantic feeling. And then, we got into a relationship for two years. And, um, and that's when I came out to my whole family and my friends and um, my parents were amazing, amazing parents about it. They were so lovely and so gracious and loving to me. Part of it was like, I was the youngest of eight kids and they were just kind of like, they were exhausted by, <laughs> by that point. <laughs> and so they, but they were so, <laughs> just loving. And my parents were, I mean, my dad was like a man's man, like the most man's man you can ever, he was a lawyer, very, just like, so, but he was so kind and gentle with me and so loving to me and my mother as well. And that's such an important moment because you never forget that moment in your life. And, um, my siblings were a little less loving. They were more judgmental, but, um, but then I moved to LA in 1993 as i said and i uh got into we just a really fun group of friends and um we we were all in the business in the entertainment business and actors writers directors producers they all became hugely successful famous uh one of my friends has a, a star on the walk of fame that during that period another like was nominated for an oscar mini driver for, for, uh, Goodwill hunting. And, um, so I saw, so I was living this life of in LA of just kind of shiny objects everywhere and constantly invited to award shows, the Oscars, the Emmys, the Golden Globes, the Grammys, the, all the after parties, HBO parties, Vanity Fair parties, just everything governor's ball after the Oscars. And I, I mean, I, 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 I met. And knew everyone in this town. Like I met everyone: Tom Hanks, Beryl Street, George Clooney, Julia Roberts. Like everyone I met, interacted with, was friends with. So I thought, you know, this is, this is, this is my life. You know, this is, this is really fun. I'm having a great time. And, um. And then after, you know, many years of this, I don't know how long, um. From 1993 to 2009, the law of diminishing returns set in, and I this all these kind of things stopped being fun to me. I was hmm. just kind of like, I can't go to one more party, I can't go to one more thing and talk about whatever. Like, but then I had the, the the turning point was uh March of 2009, and at Fashion Week in Paris, I went. I used to go to Fashion Weeks and. I went to a bunch of the runway shows and they usually have after parties, the runway shows. And I was at this after party. Everyone was there from the fashion world. Kanye was there. Um, And I just felt this overwhelming sense of emptiness, just like, like a crushing emptiness. And Mm. I knew that God was never an option for me because I was gay. So God wasn't, I, that was off the table. So I just was in this panic that whole night for, for the next few days, I was just in a panic about my future. And I'm like, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? I, all these shiny objects have sustained me for so long. And like my, you know, amazing friends have sustained me. And, but this isn't going to work anymore. And what am I going to do? And am I going to be put out to pasture in Palm Springs? Like all, you know, older gay men, Uh, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And so, I got back to LA and six months later, I was at a coffee shop with my best friend who is gay. And we were chatting, uh, having our coffee. And we just, we, this was in Silver Lake on the East side of LA. And um, we noticed a group of Christians sitting next to us, young Christians, and they had Bibles on the table. And we started chatting with them and they, I asked them, you know, what do you believe? Cause I grew up Roman Catholic. I don't really remember like what, tell me what your beliefs are. And they were like, we are, we're evangelical Christians. We go to a church in Hollywood and they, they told me the gospel and they, uh, and then of course I asked them, well, what does your church believe about homosexuality? And they said, we believe it's a sin. And I, I wasn't expecting a different response. I knew that they were going to say that. Um, mm-hmm. And so, but I was surprised at my response because, you know, normally like a year before that, 10 years before that, I would have just walked away and said, you guys are insane and you need help.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But because of that night in Paris six months before, I was open to hearing something different. And, and then uh, the following Sunday rolls around I and I wake up and I'm like, I guess I'm going to go to this church. I had never been to it. So they adventure. invited
0: you to that church.
1: They invited me to their church. They gave me the address. And I and I told them, I said, I don't know if I'm going to go. Like, I'll think about it. Because it was kind of a weird spot to be in. Because it's like, if I go, then my, if my friends find out about this, they're going to think I'm insane. Because, like, you know, with my friend group, I, my friends were a mix of heterosexuals, homosexuals. Like, it was a whole mix. It wasn't just, mm-hmm. I wasn't just, like, in a gay ghetto. Um, but they, but they were all very, very smart and they, they, uh, none of them believed in God. I mean, we never once mentioned God in our many, many, many years of friendship. We, God was, it was assumed God didn't exist. It was just like, yeah. that's for dumb people. Like we don't, we don't talk about God because that's for stupid people. <laughs> so we never mentioned God. They never mentioned God. And so I was like, I was, I was concerned, concerned that, it would get out to them that I went to this evangelical church because according to my friend group, evangelicals were the enemy. They were just mm-hmm. like lunatics. Right. So like my friends would have just thought I was crazy for doing that. And anyway, I went the following Sunday, I went to this, this church in Hollywood and, uh and I walked in, sat down during, there was worship music. I sat down, the pastor preaches a sermon on Romans chapter seven for an hour. And it every it blew me away. Everything he was saying was resonating as truth in my mind, in my heart, and I didn't know why. And it was the first time I had heard and understood the gospel. And I was blown away by it. I was like, this is the gospel? Like, this is good news. Mm-hmm. And it turned everything I thought religion was on its head. And, and then after the sermon someone on the side of the auditorium prayed for me and um this guy and i was i was just like how is this random straight dude like why does he care about me why is he so compassionate with me and he he because his prayer was so loving and gentle and uh and then i went back to my seat and that's when it all went down (laughs) i sat (laughs) down everyone else was standing for 25 minutes i sat down everyone else was standing and worshiping for the next 25 minutes. I sat down because I was so overwhelmed by everything. And and as soon as I sat down, the Holy Spirit just like crashed. Mm. And it was like a road to Damascus moment. It was so, I mean, I kind of liken it to not only road to Damascus, but like when Paul says, I once knew a man who was caught up in the third heaven and he's talking about himself. It was almost like I, for a split second, I was in heaven. And it was so mm. it was so intense, so real and so powerful. And I just burst into tears and couldn't stop. I was heaved heaving. I was doubled over crying just for twenty five minutes the next twenty five minutes. I was crying over the conviction of my sin and and over mm. meeting Jesus. And I knew. It was like the first time in my life, I finally knew the meaning of life. And it was like the most amazing feeling ever to, to finally know. Cause I always, I mean, I always wanted to know, like, I'm not an idiot. I wanted to know where did I come yeah. from? Where, what am I doing here? And where am I going? Like, I wanted to know those, but I thought, I thought that was unknowable. Hmm. And so when it happened, and I remember God in my mind, God said, I'm God. Jesus is my son. Heaven is real. Hell is real. The Bible's true. And I just, it was so clear and so like undeniable. It's just like, it's like, you know, this table is, it was, it was more real than this table that I'm sitting at. And, and then I got home and it happened again. A second time I got into bed to take a nap because I was so freaked out. And, um, God was like, let me show you some more of my glory. (laughs) And I just like, I burst into tears again, jumped out of my bed in the middle of my bedroom. And I just said, God, you have my whole life. I'm done. I'm yours. I don't care. Like I'm, this is it. And I knew in that moment, I knew homosexual behavior was a sin. I knew that dating guys was no longer part of my future, but I didn't care because I just met Jesus. And I'm like, I'm going with him. Good riddance to that old life. And I knew that, Um, I, that, that I wasn't gay, like that wasn't my identity. That wasn't who I, Mm -hmm. I, my identity was now in Christ and I was a new creation in Christ. And so that was September 20th, 2009.
0: Wow. That. Okay. So when I read that, um, I was going through a bit of a, um, I don't know, rethinking of my philosophy of ministry at the time. I grew up a pastor's kid. My dad's a Southern Baptist pastor. So it was very, you know, all the, <laughs> your, your typical traditional Southern Baptist church. Uh, when I hit um, college, I discovered a secret sensitive church and the whole secret sensitive movement and really bought into that ministry philosophy and, and, and worked uh, for a big secret sensitive church and spent you know probably 10 15 years in that world and and I just over time begun to see you know things differently uh God kind of took me down a, a path towards reform theology and and really rethinking you know how salvation works and God's role in salvation
1: mm-hmm.
0: and reading your story uh I think was a a, a pivotal moment for me because I'm reading that story and I'm like wait a minute, that's not how it's supposed to work. <laughs> you got to build a relationship with him for, you know, at least a year before you even yeah. bring up those topics. You got to hide that stuff until, you know, some yeah. Point by the way, way down dur- the road.
1: During that sermon, my, the pastor preached, Tim Chaddock. I mean, he, he mentioned sin probably 50 times in that one sermon. Wow. Like there was no secret sensitive. This, this was not a secret sensitive at all. And um I mean it was sensitive but it wasn't secret sensitive. But he mm-hmm. yeah, he mentioned sin sin sin. like that's how that's how the holy spirit worked in me because I it, it's like I understood sin. If you don't understand sin, you don't understand your need for salvation. So right. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. So that's um yeah, <laughs> rest of the story, all the, it's fascinating. I highly encourage uh, people to check out um, to to read your book. Um But I want to, I want to kind of shift gears into talking uh, about how uh, the church should think about um, ministering to people uh, in that community. Um, what would you say, um, you know, to, parents who maybe have a a child that comes out to them. You know, it, it's so many voices in evangelical world now are, are po- kind of pointing people to, um, you know, maybe like, well, here, there's two options. You have the side A affirming or side B, you know, you can kind of just be celibate. Um, and it's kind of like your choice. You, you kind of pick which works best for you. How would you, mm. um, you know, what counsel would you give to like parents who want to hold on to, you know, biblical teaching on sexuality? You know, how, do they, how should they respond?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, a couple things. Um, Rosa, I love Rosaria Butterfield, the way she says to do this, she says, stay connected to your child, but do not become indoctrinated into the LGBTQ mm-hmm. ideology. Um, I'll tell you just from my own experience, like what, what worked my parent, cause I did a whole episode on my show about my mother's prayer, um, which was stunning. I just discovered recently a prayer that my mother typed to God. I just, I just mm. discovered it a month ago. My sister-in-law found it in a box and like sent it to me. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever read. And it was so on point. But see my parents um they when i when they found out that I was hom- uh, homosexual um they, they I told you you know they were super kind and loving to me, and they knew what I, they knew that I knew what they believed about this. They, and all my mm-hmm. siblings believe, believe still believe like they, my siblings are all believers. My parents are in heaven right now. Um, but they, they knew that I knew that they believed homosexual behavior was a sin. So there, there was no need for them to reiterate that. And mm-hmm. in fact, Instead of doing that, because, I mean, I moved to L.A., so I was an adult. So it's, it might be different for if you have a teenager who comes out to you. But but my parents, over the 20 years or whatever it was, they never once said, hey, Beckett, you know, in the Bible, it says uh, homosexual behavior is an abomination. Mm-hmm. They All they did was pray for me. That's all they could do. Like, there's nothing else you can do. Um, mm-hmm. When the prodigal leaves, you you can't like trying to like stop that is is just leads to because it, it's like you can't manipulate and badger or bludgeon your child into believing like you can't badger mm-hmm. them into the kingdom. So that my my advice I guess is to to be like Monica to Augustine like and my mother to me just be and. I mean, my mother was in constant prayer for me, and she never told me. I never knew my mother mm. was praying for. I mean, I assume she was probably praying for me, but she never told me once. Hey, I wrote this letter to God about you, and this is what I'm praying. She never said that, because that would cause division. That would mm-hmm. uh, that would make me feel like she didn't love me like fully. Because you know, when you're when you're living that life, it's hard to you can't separate your uh because people say hate the sin love the sinner mm-hmm. but it's like you can't when when I would hear that it was it was like nails on a chalkboard because it's like you can't hate half of me and love half of me because it feels like so deeply um your identity. So um my my mother and, and my family members prayed for me. My sister in law was the same way. She I talked about this in my book. She um she was the exact same way. She we would hang out every time I would go back home to Dallas. We'd have coffee. She would never talk about homosexuality. Um, but she just prayed for me for for many, many years. Acts 26, 18, which maybe I should read. Um, she prayed this verse um over me. For many, many, many years, and God answered her prayer. This is when Paul is in front of King Agrippa, and he's telling King Agrippa why, you know, what God has sent him to do. And um, he says in verse 18, to open the Gentiles' eyes, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So she prayed that prayer, that verse over me for many, many years. And guess what? God answered all of their prayers. And there's nothing they could have said to me mm-hmm. to could have done. Could have, there's nothing that would have convinced me. Of, like God has to convince you. God, the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit has to convict you of this. It has to be, it's a supernatural thing. And that's why my mother, she, my mother knew that it was supernatural and that, The first, her first prayer point, I wish I had the letter in front of me, but, um, her first prayer point was, uh, all about the supernatural and saying like, we need to like, you know, I, darn, I wish I had it here, but, um, yeah, she, she, my mother, my mother knew it was a spiritual battle. And Mm -hmm. so she, she went (laughs) (laughs) she, she, uh, engaged in warfare with the enemy and she got, you know, and God answered her. And, um, and so, but if you're, I know it's different, maybe different if your teenage kid comes out and it's like, what do you do as a parent? And, you know, do you let them do this? I mean, I think, you know, as a teenager, I think it's a pro it's a, it's a, it's a long process. You know, you have to be patient, and I talk about this in my book. Like, you know, when a kid comes out, they've had years and years to think through this thing and in, internally, mm-hmm. um, and so when they come out, their parents are pretty m- are usually pretty stunned by that information, and the child you, wants the parents to be on the same page with them immediately, <laughs> and if they're not, they mm-hmm. just are like, "You're cut off from me," and um, and so. Both parties need to have grace with each other, but um, I think if your child comes out, it needs to there there needs to be this um, attitude of okay, this is going to be a long battle. It's we're mm-hmm. going to have to persevere in prayer. We're going to have to um, there's this is about endurance. It's not about like solving this problem right now. It's not about fixing mm-hmm. my child because that doesn't that doesn't really help. Um, it's in, in, in my experience, that doesn't help. And so, uh, yes, you can have a conversation with your child and say, Hey, you know, we love you so much. We love God even more, but we love you. And we, but we have these convictions about this issue and those convictions are never going to change but we are here for you and we're going to walk, we're going to walk with you through this as long as you'll allow us to. And, and we're here for you. Um, And that's, that's really all you can do. And yeah, that's, that's all you can do I and in, in, in pray in and yeah. obviously pray.
0: <clears throat> I think that's so hard for us as parents because we so want, <laughs> I want to yeah. be able to <laughs> badger them into the, <laughs> to the kingdom. Um, but it, it really yeah, does. I think
1: If you think of the prodigal son, I talk about this
0: in my book. I mean, mm-hmm.
1: the father, there's nothing the father could do in that story. Mm-hmm. Like the prodigal son had to reach the end of his rope or come to the end of his rope and, and then return. Like, so it's like the more you try to control it and fix it, it's just, it's almost like delaying. It's delaying mm-hmm. the return of your son, like you or yeah. your daughter, you need to just like, Go be the prodigal, like go for it, like, and then you'll see how empty it is. Like that's what happened to me. I was mm-hmm. the prodigal, and I finally saw how empty it was.
0: Mm. Yeah, and it's it's really it it requires that dependence on God to know that this is not going to be something I can, you know, engineer. This is going to be God mm-hmm. working. Yeah, you know, bringing them to yeah. the end in themselves like that. Um, what encouragement would you have for someone? who is a Christian uh, is same sex attracted and never really had that, you know, kind of moment that you describe uh, and they're they're praying to God, take away these attractions, take away these attractions and mm-hmm. these there's a affirming Christians that are holding out, you know, an option that just makes it so much easier. Um, what's your encouragement there?
1: Well, my encouragement, I, I mean, in terms of, kind of asking God to take it away. And it's, I mean, I think of Paul when he asked God to take th- the thorn in his flesh away and God says, no, he, he, Paul prays three times and God says, no. And God says, my grace is sufficient and my power is made perfect in weakness. And, and I, that's what is so like, I, I, I don't um begrudge God. I don't, I don't, I'm not bitter towards God because I, you know, he hasn't fully, you know, removed all this, all this kind of same sex attraction from me. Um, Because I know his grace is sufficient and, and I, uh, I'm, I'm happy to, and it makes us depend on him as even more. It makes us lean into him even more. And it makes us, uh, because if I think if God just like zapped you and took that away, then you would just be like, Oh, I don't need God anymore. I'm fine. Like everything's great. Mm. Um, but in terms of like not going over to the dark side of an, an affirming church, um, it's like this life is a mist. It's a vapor. It ends in two seconds. And what do you want your life to be? And when you meet Jesus, we're all going to face him and, He's going to either say well done my good and faithful servant or depart from me I never knew you. And those that's those mm-hmm. are the options. So my encouragement is you know Paul Paul was single, Jesus was single. Paul was running around the Mediterranean planting churches, preaching the gospel. He was shipwrecked, he was stoned, he was beaten, he was jailed. But he didn't care. All he cared about was it wasn't a, this kind of self focus and self Reflection and pity. It was for him. It was just all about. I want to get the good news out. Like these. I want to spread the gospel to as far to to the nations. And um. And yeah. And and it's just like yeah. We can. And I say this all the time. We can have endless debates on does the Bible really say homosexual? Like we can have those endless debates. But do you really want to do that? I mean, is that what you want to spend your life? doing, like tampering with God's word, um, mm. actively being defiant towards God and rebelling against him because you're, you you do not mm. believe in the authority of his word and you're somehow in, I mean, Satan has been twisting his word from the, since the garden, he's still doing it now. People are, he's using people to twist his word. And, um, and it's, it's like, which camp do you want to be in? You know, there's two camps. Mm. Like, There's the camp that, there's the camp that is, is, is leading to eternal life and the other camp that's not. And so it's, it's just, it's, I know that if you're young and you've, and you're struggling with this and you feel like my whole life is laid out before me and I, and this is, I can't bear this burden and I get it. It's not easy, you know, it's not easy to deal with this particular sin. but, but in the end it's worth it. Cause Jesus is so much better. And it just like in Hebrews where Jesus is better, everything he's the better sacrifice, better. Um, so Jesus is, uh, the bottom line is Jesus is absolutely worth all of it. Cause in the end mm. it's, it's all worth it in the end, you know, like we struggle, like we're going to struggle in this life and, there's people in in other countries who are being beheaded and being murdered for their faith for their faith in Jesus and and so yeah to to kind of focus on this issue and and kind of have this idea of like woe is me and be have this self pity is to me is 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 um is very strange because because i i just I feel like when you when God redeems you out of darkness and into his marvelous light there should be nothing but absolute just worship for him like be on mm-hmm. your knees worshiping him and thanking him for saving you from eternal dis- destruction I mean that is mm-hmm. I'm I'm still shocked that I'm so stunned that I was headed towards hell and headed towards eternal torment. But God, just out of all the gays and where I live in West Hollywood, God looked at me and he plucked me out of darkness and into light. And I will forever be grateful for that. And there's no, I don't feel cheated or like life is unfair because I, I, I'm, I'm, single for the rest of my life. Mm. I that doesn't that's never crossed my mind. (laughs) I feel like the luckiest guy in the world. I get to be in the kingdom of God and have eternal life. That's like kind of a big deal, right? To be immortal. It's pretty amazing. So just focus on immortality. It's like when um you know set your mind not uh what's the verse do not set your mind on things of this world but on set your mind on the things that are above. Mm-hmm. Um, cause when, the more you set your mind on eternal things, the less that you're going, you're going to be burdened by this world and burdened by your yeah. struggle.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that's probably where a lot of churches begin to go off the mark on this is that, you know, if you're preaching week after week, a you know, here's five ways to better finances and, you know, the different, you know, ways that, you know, <laughs> the Bible can help you to a better life. You know, then you when you meet, you know, some people that are really struggling with this, it, it seems unfair and unkind of God. And we want to be kind to them and offer them a way that they can they can follow Jesus too. You just let's just ignore that part of scripture. And I I read this week in Romans chapter two where it talks about the kindness of God is always leading to repentance. Mm-hmm. And I feel like sometimes we think we can outkind God that we can, we can, you know, by trying we're to be nicer kind, than God. we're nicer than God. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, if our kindness is leading people away from repentance, then that's not kindness at all.
1: It's unkindness. Yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. the meanest thing you can do. It's the most, it's the most, um, hard, it's the most, um, yeah, it's the most harmful thing you can do is to lead someone to eternal destruction. Like that's, that's, that's actually really hateful. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not loving. I mean, I people like pastors and leaders in churches think they're being kind of cool and loving by being affirming mm-hmm. or whatever, half affirming or fully affirming but it's actually you know you're actually leading people to eternal damnation like what how mm-hmm. is that loving in any way uh i i'm so happy that my church is so solid on this issue uh and that those those kids told me that first time when i met them that homosexual behavior was a sin like i'm so grateful to them that they didn't lie to me and that mm-hmm. they didn't dodge the question or try to like waffle or fudge it a little bit or kind of like make it a little mushy they just were very just blunt and so is my church yeah. it's very clear
0: and i think that's what the current cultural moment we're living through requires right now i think it needs christians speaking with clarity and kindness of course yeah but a kindness that is leading to repentance um you know, I was part of a church there um, in uh, in LA uh, when we were there, and we were rock solid on biblical sexuality, but we didn't talk about it except for like once every eighteen months. So we would have this, um, you know, every eighteen months, people would be shocked to you know find out they're not right. attending an affirming church, and then they'd leave. And so I think churches have to find a way to kind of be up front. You know, obviously, you don't want to make <laughs> preach on it every Sunday, but yeah. you know, it, it, you don't need to avoid it either.
1: Right? I mean, I, I talked about i've I've talked to some church leaders about this before. It's but it's like we need to talk about this, like you said, more often than just once every ten years. We need to, you know, from the pulpit, it needs to be preached that you know First Corinthians six or or whatever Romans one or whatever needs to be preached because because of the cultural moment we're in and uh-huh. not only is the the world telling us nonstop that this is okay this is amazing to be celebrated sam smith is amazing um and that not only is it not a sin but it's a sacrament now it's not a it's not a behavior anymore it's an identity and so because of the cultural moment we're in and even churches are falling for this right evangelical Mm -hmm. churches are falling for the lie so that's why this needs to be iterated in churches more often than just once every 18 months or once every five years because people because the world is so powerful and the lies Mm -hmm. of the world are so powerful and persuasive and you know, everyone's consuming content from Netflix, HBO, like all these. And it's just like, oh, it's gee, I mean, this show is hilarious. And like, Will and Grace is so funny. And they're, I mean, it must not be a sin now. Like it's, they're so great and funny. And I want to be their friends. Like, yes, of course we're supposed to, it's the second commandment. We're supposed to love others. We're supposed to love our neighbor. And, but part of that love is telling the truth. and so. Mm -hmm. um we need to i think in churches we need to we because of this how how pervasive this lie is it needs to be addressed more often than just Mm -hmm. once you know every uh, you know once every couple of years
0: and i think with the um the trans movement there's there's an urgency with it too just because you know if if your son comes out as is gay and heads down that prodigal, you know, path that there's always hope that they can repent and, and come back and, you know, there's not that lasting forever damage being done to their bodies. And I just think that the trans movement that, that adds an urgency to, you know, let's, let's talk about this. Let's not affirm this. Let's not use the the pronouns that, you know, lead kids um, to think that this is something that, you know, could be an option for them.
1: Yeah, I mean, using, you know, using pronouns in your profile on social media, just even if it's like correct pronouns, like if I put he, him on my social media, that what that's implying is that there's more than two sexes. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so you're, but you're, you're, uh, indulging in a lie. You're, you're indulging in the cultural lie that there are more than two sexes. And, uh, and you know, God is grieved. God created us binary. He created male and female. We are binary. We're not non-binary. And so, um, so yeah, I think we need to we need that needs to be
0: addressed as well. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me that within the LGBT community, there seems to be a spectrum um from people who um you know, or just like your neighbor next door to the radical activists that are really pushing an agenda. Mm -hmm. Um, how do we as Christians love the one, you you know, the, the neighbor that, that is LGBT, LGBT, um, while opposing the agenda that's being pushed by the other group,
1: that's uh, that's a difficult question. It's funny because I was when you said that I back in the day. I think it was George Bush, George W. Bush, or someone. I back in in the day, um, there was this whole idea of what homosexual the homosexual agenda. Maybe it was mm-hmm. before George Bush. And my friend, my gay friends, and I used to say we used to call each other in the morning and say, "Hey, what's on your homosexual agenda today?" Because <laughs> we thought. Cause it, yeah. Cause when you're living that life, you don't think there's an agenda. You just think like, this is who I am. But um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I don't know if if it's opposing. If it's, if it's uh, broaching it differently with different groups, I think it's about opposing the ideology itself, not a person. So I think, mm-hmm. For, for people, uh, whoever it is, whether they're pushing an agenda or not, we still need to love them and we need to pray mm-hmm. for them. I mean, I pray for so many people in my orbit and, and my neighbor who's gay. I pray for them all the time, whether they're an activist or not. Like, but we should, we should oppose the ideology and we should um, be very clear about and whatever that whatever that looks like in terms of just voting or whatever it is just oppose that ideology um and you know be clear about be clear to uh to be clear about where we stand as as christians on this issue not again not in an obnoxious way or in an mm-hmm. in an unloving way but To be, you know, like if someone, cause this happens to me all the time where I'll talk about, I talk about my faith to everyone I run into at the grocery store (laughs) and they, and I say, you know, I'm an evangelical Christian, like blah, blah, blah. And they ask me, I mean, I get asked every time, like, well, what about, you know, homosexuality? And I, I, I just tell them, I'm like, well, it's a sin. So I don't, I don't live that life anymore. So, um. So I, yeah, just, I think we need to be clear, as you said, clarity is important. We need to be clear about our convictions, uh, not in a crazy Westboro Baptist kind of way, but in just like in daily conversations with
0: people. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, this is super helpful. I like to end uh, my podcast with, um, a question. Uh, there's so many black pills in the world that can just get, make us uh, kind of wallow in the pit of sadness. <laughs> what is something that is giving you hope right now? Jesus.
1: Mm. <laughs> Honestly, um, I talk about this a lot. I ever since I was saved, I have had this. First of all, avoid. I think avoiding the news a lot because the news and social media can, can really bring you down. Like it really does, especially Twitter. It's just mm-hmm. like, it's just like a hellscape. But, um, but <laughs> I, I talk about, you know, after I got saved, I, I have this layer of impenetrable rock in my gut of joy. I have this layer of joy that can never be penetrated by the, by the black pills of the world. And so I, no matter what's happening in the world, no matter, you know, everything, every, all the craziness that's going on, all the madness of the Grammys, all the war in Ukraine, the, the, everything crazy. Uh, this is not, it's just nonstop. I've never, like, obviously, this is kind of unprecedented in our lifetime. Like the the world has gone bonkers, right? So, but we have to just constantly, no who's in control who's sovereign and that ultimately it's all going to be righted by Jesus and when he returns everything's going to be righted and and um and so that's my hope is uh in Christ in Jesus because it's just that's and and no matter yeah no matter how nutty the world gets i'm just like well I know what, I know the end to the story. I know the ending, right? Ending is glorious. So that's where my hope is. That's awesome.
0: Well, thank you so much, Beckett. Um, Definitely want to send people over to your YouTube channel. Um, You've been doing some great content over there and it's all really helpful. So um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for doing this.
1: Thank you, Josh. I appreciate it.
0: That's our show for today. Big thanks to Beckett Cook for joining me for this conversation. Be sure to check out his book, A Change of Affection. Um, It's an incredibly helpful resource for the church and for anyone uh, in your life or yourself that may be struggling with same-sex attraction. He just shows a a much better way um, to respond um, to that than the the world. And sadly, a lot of the church is offering right now. So it's an incredibly hopeful story. Uh, I think you will really enjoy that um also definitely go subscribe to his channel that's the Beckett Cook show uh there's a link in the show notes for both the book and the the his show so definitely do that uh support the work that he is doing uh if you found this content helpful please share it um you know there's so many different um <laughs> approaches to this and i think a lot of pastors are still trying to figure out how best to do this so i think um, definitely you want them uh, listening to beckett and getting uh, his perspective on things because there's a lot of um, wrong approaches uh, that are being um, adopted by a lot of churches so this is a great episode to share with your pastor share with you know others in your church who are struggling with these issues and uh, as well so um, if you're watching on youtube go ahead and hit like and subscribe so you don't miss future content Uh, if you're listening uh, ratings and reviews over at apple podcast are super helpful But um, until next time, I will see you soon.